Okay, Nuggets, you're listening to Garage Frequency. <laughs> My thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is Control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Sits and Sivs. You're tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 045 and was recorded on November 1st and made available for download November 4th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Scorp Box, it's been a rough, rough week in the space travel business. In CRG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest letter from the chairman, the Arena Commander 0.9.2 patch, the reveal of the Drake Herald, and of course, everything about... And PAX Australia. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we talk all about Drake Interplanetary, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and sis, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got the creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or a resume. We've added a feature to our website. You might have seen it. You might have noticed it over there at cardfrequency.com. It's not that conspicuous, but if you look for it, you'll see a donate button. After nearly a year of clockwork releases, trips to Austin and L.A., plans for Manchester, and the occasional detour into lunacy, we're finally confident enough to set the hat on the sidewalk and let you drop in whatever you've got in your pockets. Seriously, whatever you've got in your pockets, just empty them in there now. No one will get hurt. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. Thanks, everybody, who's already chipped in, and we hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through to the Squawk Box. Any you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This week, that Mayday call is about all that needs to be said. It was a painful few days for space travel. First, the Antares booster launch by Orbital Sciences failed on liftoff, costing the International Space Station a planned cargo run and ruining the ground facilities out there in Virginia. Fortunately, no one was injured. But the week wasn't over. Scale Composites and Virgin Galactic lost their Spaceship 2 vehicles shortly after separation from the White Knight jet mothership. This loss came at a price. Pilot Peter Siebold successfully ejected with moderate injuries, but co-pilot Michael Alsbury died aboard the craft. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the injured and the dead, and we encourage Orbital Sciences, Virgin Galactic, and Scale Composites to get to the bottom of these costly failures of the last few days. If we can learn something from these tragedies and prevent future ones, then someday the price we've paid for that knowledge will be worth it. There is a silver lining in all this, and not to take away from the sacrifices that these brave individuals do, but our entire history with, with outer space has been fraught with some kind of disaster one or another. Uh, Apollo 3 is an example. I think there was an accident on the Mercury launches as well. All of these individuals had one thing in common, their love and their, and their desire to pioneer into the great frontier, which is outer space. And I think that 
it is a good sign, and I, and I say that with all reverence, that we are making progress to one day conquering that frontier. Don't ever forget that it comes at a cost, but they choose to do that cost knowing what the risks are. Again, you're right. I mean, and it's not like they were just sort of like, you know, fooling around and, and something bad happened. They were testing a new fuel configuration on the uh, spaceship, too. It was, you know, again, it, they were pushing the envelope, and there are risks associated with that. And I went into that flight with their eyes wide open on what the risks were. But uh, we just need to learn from what happened here and, and push on and don't make the same mistake twice. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Let's check out some CIG news. Our crowdfunding update for November 1st, 2014, 59918000 You know, guys, it's like clockwork, really. I mean, we're just this much short at the end of the week every week. Seriously, the guys with the baseball bats are coming around anytime now. Uh, 638,000 plus citizens and over 496,000 members of the UEE, another 6,000 jump in citizens and a 10,000 jump in members. So I think we're back down to that around two out of three number that we've been so used to seeing. And, well, what do you know? We've got another letter from the chairman. Woo! This time for breaking through the $59 million stretch goal and earning us the latest Wave 4 ship unlock, the Anvil Aerospace Crucible. Described as being a floating toolbox in space, capable of getting your ships flyable and out of danger. Or, they can team up and produce scaffolding rigs to repair the bigger ships like the Bengal Carrier. Finally, we learn that the $60 million stretch goal ship will be the Aegis Bulldog, a twin-engine deep space fighter. Heavily influenced by the Messerschmitt and the Havilland Mosquito of World War II, the Bulldog really comes into its own when fighting amongst asteroids and nebulas. Oh, and the uh, and the stretch goal poll is still up, so feel free to vote for search and rescue. Tell them Guard Frequency sent you. I have to say that I'm disappointed in a number of dimensions Number one, the dismal performance of the search and rescue ship in, in this final poll here. That's just a stab to my heart. I, I share your disappointment. And I think we have to point a finger at some of the members of Guard Frequency who have maybe taken that excitement for the possibility of a luxury liner too far and not voted. But on a deeper level, I have a more systemic problem with what's going on here now. Number one being the, uh, actually the biggest one. I'm not even going to deal with like secondary and tertiary concerns. The biggest concern I have here is the description of the Bulldog, the twin-engine deep space fighter, blah, 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 that has a second seat for a Rio that makes it more survivable and lets you designate tasks between a pilot and a co-pilot. This is the Super Hornet with two engines. This is kind of my problem here, is that we're starting to get some overlap in the different kinds of ships that are already out there. And that's fine. I mean, it's their game. They can run it however they want to. But this is the sort of thing where you're taking the concept that I've expanded a couple times on, having, you know, a narrow niche for every ship, meaning that if you want to be an expert at one thing, you buy the one ship. And then when you want to be an expert at something else, you go get this ship. Now there's starting to be overlap between the variants, and it's getting to be a little overkill. So it's tough, but, you know, got to keep them separate. Isn't the difference between this and the Super Hornet, though, that the Super Hornet is designed to stay local to a carrier, whereas this is designed to go off into deep space on its own? Well, the Hornet has a jump engine. It can fly off, too. Yeah, but it, it's intent. You know, I'm sure it can. There's nothing to stop someone getting hold of while they're doing it, but... Sure, I mean, there's there's, there's the fictional separation you yeah. can write up, right? I mean, you can write up that, you know, this one is only supposed to go on Tuesdays. You know, it's a Tuesday ship, but the Wednesday ships are this one over here, but it, as a practical concern, there's not a whole hell of a lot of a difference. And so it just seems to me like 
this is the the problem. Again, I'm going to take our common reference here, Star Trek Online. You know, once the shipyard gets pretty full, when you want to introduce a new ship, you only have a few options that you can fiddle with. One would be like a number of bridge officers, a number would be forward weapon slots, rear weapon slots. You know, there's only a certain number of switches you can flip. And I'm seeing the overlap. When I first read the description of the bullet, I'm like, that's the Super Hornet. Why are you making it another Super Hornet? Whereas a search and rescue ship or a passenger liner, those are maybe truly different ships, but now we have another fighter in the game where we already have a lot of fighters. Well, the 890 Jump could be a passenger liner. You know, for all intents and purposes, why build another one? I think the important thing here, though, is you you basically said, why did they make it? And actually, it comes down to the fact it was voted for. It was us. But it was voted on it. without this description. That's, that's, no, that's no, no, uh, no. No, you're, you're literally going where I was going right there. That's oh. that's exactly what I was ah. going to say. It was voted in on without head. the description. So when people see a twin-engine deep space fighter, what were they imagining? You know, And I'd be quite interested to know if, if anybody out there did vote for the twin-engine deep space fighter, are you actually happy with what's being proposed here? Or were you thinking of something else? entirely that's another good question the drake herald has now officially entered the concept ship sale stage and you can pick yours up for the low low price of 85 dollars american and as it's a drake ship we all know how it's likely to be used but it's best summed up by drake senior spaceship designer becky Lins. on the surface the herald represents a significant advance in interstellar data transfer but we as drake team members know its long-term implications for data interception, stream interruption, and even outright piracy are enormous. I'm proud of everything we accomplished, and now I can't wait to see this baby fly. Hmm. So, a little bit of internal marketing there, whose customers are slightly different than, say, the official UEE consumers. Yeah, and a lot of discussion was generated around the way it looked. How it kind of looked asymmetrical and had this big bulky dish on one side and sort of looked like just a submarine almost. Like a submersible, like the ones that go really, really deep and grab rocks. Yeah. And yeah, like obviously I can totally see where they're getting out there. But I think this ship would be perfect in space because you don't need an aerodynamic space frame. But all the shots, or rather most of the shots that they published showed it in atmosphere. And to me, it just looked really like there is no way that would get up to that height. Is that just an art thing, though? Just so they can make cool backgrounds? Yeah, but you can make cool backgrounds in space with asteroids and explosions and pulsars and yeah. quasars. Yeah. You don't need clouds. Yeah. Clouds are boring. I've got clouds here. You know what right. I don't have? Oh, yeah. Nebula. I don't have Nebula here. I'm not in Britain, so I can't confirm nor deny by that, but I'm going to take you at your word that you don't have any Nebula hanging around. Jeff, did you like the ship? Um, no. <laughs> so, Thanks again, as always, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> so, was it the asymmetry you didn't like? Was it the bulbousness? Was it the non-aerodynamicity of it? Tell me, tell me, tell me, Jeff. It, it looked like a, it looked like a cargo transfer thing. You know, I pull up my Bengal carrier close to into planetary dock, and this thing comes up and transfers cargo back and forth to the planet's surface. That's what it looked like. It is kind of utilitarian. I don't know if it's supposed to be inspiring. I think it's supposed to spend most of its time not being seen. Oh, and if you haven't, you really need to check out the actual article where the uh, Drake Herald is revealed. It's really cool if you're signed in and scroll down a little ways. It's kind of Easter eggy and eye candy kind of stuff that you should uh, really check out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. This week saw another new patch hit our launchers in the shape of Arena Commander 0.9.2. And with it brings a whole host of fixes. As well as the usual tweaks associated with the patch, 0.9.2 introduces a new ITTS systems, an intelligent gun control system nicknamed ESP, Enhanced Stick Precision. 
This magical piece of code aims to intelligently bridge the gap between the pilot's intended input and the data being received from the input device, meaning that all those HOTUSes and gamepad users that felt a bit nerfed in the last patch will once again be competitive. ESP works by calculating your pitch and yaw relative to your goal, usually an enemy, and using special math and a bit of dark magic figures out that you should have hit it. Basically, it's similar to aiming assistance. Aside from that, there are also a host of new control options for tracking targets and moving your character's head when in the game, allowing you to separate your viewpoint from your trajectory with ease. Now, as you know, because we tell you every week, guard frequency couldn't be produced without the help of lots of people behind the scenes. And one of those is our executive producer, Mr. Elliot Tan. Say hi to the boys and girls, Elliot. Hello. Hello. Now, Elliot, you're a HOTAS player like us. and uh, yeah, Like some of us. No, like all of us. You're just wrong. You, you're yet to be converted. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, like I was saying, you, you like to play with the HOTAS. Um, how has this patch changed the way you play Star Citizen? It's absolutely given me a new lease on life. I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that before this patch, I was actually starting to get legitimately concerned that I would not be able to play this game with my HOTAS. But now, tell us how you really feel, Elliot. It's absolute joy and freedom now. I mean, I, I really feel like, you know, like I, when I hit my throttle and I bear down on a target and I start railing off with the cannons, it feels like what I expect it to feel like. You know, I've, I've played using throttle and stick for, uh, I guess, years now and, and using just a stick for, for a decade before that. And I just, I can't imagine playing a Chris Roberts game of this scope without using a throttle and stick. And I was really afraid I was going to have to, but now it's just, it's absolute gold. Well, last night you and I jumped in to uh, play a couple rounds of Vanduul Swarm, and up to this last patch, I had been smoking pretty much everybody using my trackball and keyboard in the Hornet with the gibbled weapons. And last night, that got swapped around. You did better than I did. Yeah, and that was basically my first hour with the system you know a few hours later and i'm just getting better and better i didn't you know honestly i didn't even bother to learn advanced flight mechanics before because there was no point to it and and i had made the decision in my mind that if this is the model they're going to use i'm going to just be a freighter pilot no joke i mean mean, that's that that was my my plan is that i'm i'm just i'm I'm going to be an interstellar trucker that's hold on just a second here just a second here i've been wiping the floor with you guys in my trackball and keyboard and with the Hornet. I mean, the massively overpowered, just it's an eyewitten button all over the place. And rather than buy a trackball and be like me, you're just going to be a space trucker? Yep. And I, I, wow. would, I would agree with him, Tony, because without my hands on my stick, I wouldn't know what to do. That's going in the blooper reel. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, actually, that might just need to stay in the show proper because I just that everyone needs to hear that from you. Okay, well, I think what I'm hearing is a ringing endorsement of the uh, new change to the uh, piloting mechanics. Now, how about the targeting mechanics? Do we like the new targeting mechanics, boys? So far, yeah, what I've, I've been able to play, yes. Time will tell. I've uh, unfortunately not had a, much of a chance to really play it as much as I'd like to, but from the little that I have experienced so far, yeah, I think this patch has really been a massive quality of life improvement, not just for the HOTAS users, but you know, all users across the board. Because of what they're doing with the ESP system, they've also kind of retrofitted the mouse and keyboard control to make it so that your mouse responds the same way a HOTAS stick would, just in a virtual yeah sense and so i think that's really helped to sort of level the playing field on that respect as well yeah i think in the introduction of the esp has sort of 
made the mouse keyboard combination a little less of an I win button. It's still good. I mean, I'm still fine. I can still I can still point and shoot and get the ship to go where I need it to go. But it's not nearly as I don't know. It's not nearly as automatic. I think that they've got the algorithm tweaked to expect a certain amount of joystickiness or game paddiness to the movement of the lead target. You know, the new the dot the, where the dot needs to go. It's expecting to see game stick like or joystick like movement with that, and with a mouse, it'll let you do it. But it's just not going to be as fluid or as quick reacting as uh, the joystick or the gamepad would be. Yeah, and I found that with the last patch, we were talking a lot about how gimbaled guns were the clearly superior option over fixed point guns. And, you know, gimbaled guns are still better than fixed point, but I feel that it's the gap that I expected between the two now, not the wildly differing, you know, if you've got fixed point guns, you might as well just go home um, and gimbal guns were the king. Yes. Elliot and I played again. I can actually hit things in my M50 now with the target indicator now and with the way things are. Still flying mouse and keyboard. I have plugged in my joystick now, so I will be trying it, but uh, still with the mouse and keyboard with the M50, I'm now able to actually shoot things and hit them with the new target indicator. So it's an amazing improvement. And like Lennon said, that the gap between the performance abilities of the fixed weapons and the gimbal weapons is now much more within the realm of expectations. I I know it's going to be an arguable point, but in my head, when I look at it, I think think that a throttle and stick should be a superior interface device for a game of this style. I mean, it's these higher-end throttle and sticks are literally ripped out of the cockpit of an F-16 and put on your desk in almost every way that matters from a design perspective. It should have advantages. It should have. Uh, it should offer a superior feel and 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 a more intuitive interface, as opposed to something like I don't know a trackball, uh, which is designed oh, now, for just, graphic just, 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 design. Just, just, just wait, just a so dang minute here. Just hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do we know why the flight model is based around sticks? Because literally a hundred years ago, you had to haul on a stick to make leakages right, to move, to make yeah. flaps go. I mean. That has nothing to do with 21st century space flight or 29th wire, yeah. century space flight. You know, that's true, but but look down in your cockpit. What do you see? Do you see a trackball? It's not my fault that the defense <laughs> industry of the 21st century is a slave to 100 years of flight tradition that bear no resemblance to the fly-by-wire I'm, I'm just saying, requirements of modern flight. I'm just that's saying when you're thing. using the input device that is clearly modeled for that craft, you know, I mean, my X-52 Pro looks almost identical to the Hornet control setup. I can't imagine that's by accident. So I feel like there should be, at a minimum, it should be a comparable quality of control uh, and not at a deficit, which they've, they've accomplished with this patch. Or we go the other way, and we let the military know that putting WASD in a, in a mouse and hiring gamers <laughs> is the way forward. No, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what, you know, in 30 years, in 30 years, the next generation, the sixth generation fighters, they're going to have game pads. It'll be a game pad that you just, that you just like sits in your lap. It's like, you know, those, the safety rail that comes down on the roller coaster. It's going to come down over you, like in your, in your pilot seat. And right there in your lap is going to be a game pad. And Elliot, you're going to be sticking around with us for the rest of the show, yeah? If you'll have me. And finally. The secret has been revealed, and we now know that the FPS team is none other than... (laughs) Just kidding, it's Ilphonic. To celebrate... (gasps) I I know, shocker, right? So to celebrate the unmasking of the worst-kept secret in video game development, the team at CRG have released a Meet Ilphonic video that introduces us to all the team members and brings us up to date on their progress so far. And, of course, they debuted their work at PAX Australia... 
And so to go over all the little details of the live stream and a few of the bigger ones is our community manager, Justin Shivery-Bean-Lowmaster. Say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. And so, of course, the one big thing that they were revealing at PAX Australia was the FPS module. And we've all seen the live stream. We've all had a good look at it. Shiv, tell us your thoughts. For me, it was a little hard to follow, but I'd also just woke up. It was like 6 a.m. when I was on my tablet because I have to watch it now. But it was, it was very interesting. It was clear there was squads of people working together. I think a game that requires that is good, assuming you can find a group of people to work together. One thing it was hard to, for me to tell was how deadly it is because you keep hearing, oh man, you know, a couple shots, you're dead. It looked like the whole team survived. They kept switching back viewpoints, so it wasn't entirely clear what was going on. Well, I think there were yes. two teams, yeah. weren't there? Yeah. Wasn't it, wasn't it head, yeah. head to head? Yeah. But certainly looked like if you wanted to, somebody could have been sneaking around a lot. One of my favorite games is Deus Ex Human Revolution, which I played the entire game sneaking around, knocking people out. And they didn't show that, but certainly they looked like there were elms, a lot of dark areas you could hide. They, they saw a hologram. So I was thinking, well, what if there's a dark area? You put a hologram over there. Then as soon as somebody goes, oh, a guy, they shoot the guy. Then you sneak out of the shadows and, you know, knock him out or shoot him or whatever. Yeah, I thought the hologram was a, a really good addition and could lend itself quite well to some of the tactics that you were saying, you know, being able to set up ambushes, making it look like your team is in one room when actually you're behind them or in another room or right. wherever. And even as it showed in the video, I was like, oh, now they know we're here, where we're at, because we shot their hologram, they heard us. Didn't look like something simple, like run and shoot everything. Looked like there's a lot of room, especially if you turn zero G off, you could be anywhere. You could be on the ceiling, you could be in some random crack in the wall. Yeah, the uh, FPS introduction, you know, introducing the uh, Delphonic team. I think the lead designer was saying, I can't wait to go play tricks on everybody. The hologram being, you know, a very trickster rogue kind of maneuver there, you know, a very good misdirection, great ambush setup like you guys were saying. And then there was the moment in the video where they pulled the zero-G lever. Yes. That was brilliant. I mean, that was just one of those things where it's like there is a game changer right there. And, you know, it was a squad versus squad activity. So one squad knew it was coming and the other squad didn't. Well, they went on in the Ilphonic video talk about not only the zero-G, but you can find the power source for a station, mm -hmm. cut that, you can vent the doors and suck everybody mm -hmm. near, a, near a bulkhead door mm -hmm. right out. Yep. I mean, check. Yep. Check. Check again. Ex exactly. I mean, the list just goes on. And, and those are gameplay mechanics that can be added on a map-by-map -map basis from now until the end of time. You know, I mean, you can fire on a power conduit, break a particular circuit, and now there's a live wire in the middle of the floor. Ooh. See, that's an enhancement. I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah, but yeah, you could you could electrify the surroundings by tearing up power conduits like that. One of the things that they emphasized in both that video, and I think Chris re-emphasized it on stage, was the chance that permadeath, you know, they, they, they raised the stakes. It's not like Battlefield where you die, you respawn on your sergeant, and you're back in the game. You can take injuries and be incapacitated and if they get to you before your buddies do, then they're going to put one in your dome and, and game over, buddy. It's time for your air to take over. It really got me to wondering, not only about first-person shooter, but in space combat. Because right now, we're all, you know, going crazy in Arena Commander, and I, I you know, every Arena Commander, I die at least once. Mm -hmm. is, yeah. is this going to have a serious suppression effect on first-person shooter gameplay? Never mind space-based gameplay, that the stakes are so high. My skills as a first-person shooter person is middle of the road. I'm not the worst, but I'm not the greatest either. I don't play spend hours at Call of Duty and Battlefield to, to keep those skills sharp. I just go in and enjoy, because I know there's no risk to me there. But if, if there's a risk, I'm certainly not going to be doing those kinds of things. 
Absolutely. I love the permadeath mechanic, the idea of it. I like the high-stakes gameplay. I really do, and I think that, in especially in first-person shooter, man, my pulse is going to be... I'm going to be that close to a stroke every time I play. <laughs> um, but, 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 uh, but that's the fun of it. That's the extra juicy part. However, I'm not going to be putting myself in that position like I would in any of literally any other game. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid conflict in space and on ground as often as humanly possible and only engage in it as a last resort because there is so much on the line with each battle. Yeah, definitely. If somebody's boarding a ship, your whole ship's on the line, your crew, uh, you could always jump out the airlock. and. I guess what I'm asking is, is, do you guys think this is going to create a universe of Care Bears? Uh, ultimately, though, is that necessarily such a bad thing? I don't think you're going to get the extreme of Care Bears, but one thing that I've certainly found whenever I've gone to play any game that's got any type of open-world PvP, where people don't care about the consequences, you just get gank fest and grief fests and, you know, it's it's horrible. I can remember in Ultima Online trying to leave my house and spending about 20 minutes just to check that there wasn't a stealth rogue type, I forget the name of the class exactly, uh, just making sure that there was none of them nearby because you knew the second you stepped over that threshold you were dead because the lack of consequences were just basically, they can just respawn. There's no uh, nothing for them to care about. Why should I attack this person? Oh, it's because if he actually kills me, I'm the one who's screwed here. You know, it works two ways. And so I think that what we're going to end up with is much more closer to real-life simulated style of, you know, in, in real life you don't go up and punch someone without fully expecting to be punched and damaged in return. You know, and it's that kind of two-way action that's going to make it a lot more realistic and therefore I think the gameplay decisions that are based around that are going to be a lot similar to what you would do in real life. On the PvP side of it, I worry that, yeah, it's not, I'm not, I'm not sure about Care Bears. I am worried that there aren't going to be sufficient numbers of players that come down on the risk side of the risk versus reward equation and actually try to go play that. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to hope to do PvP versus a merchant ship, you know, as a pirate and want to take out real players. And I don't think they're going to find their quarry. They're going to have to be satisfied with NPC quarry, and that's just going to make them angry. And that's when you get the Care Bear accusations coming up. Why doesn't anybody come out here to play? Why doesn't anybody come out here to play? Well, because we lose everything. I think that's I think that's what's going to be. I do just want to run down though a quick couple of things that got me stupidly excited for no good reason. Okay, and just tell me if you agree with any of these or whether I need to go on some sort of medication. So, first of all, the breath on your helmet. When, that was good. When they were running around, it was just steaming up a bit and then fading out and steaming. Up. That was pretty cool. Secondly, the force field effect when the ship landed into the bay of the space station how it rippled around the outside of the ship i like ripple effects ripple effects are cool thirdly when they switched off the gravity the way everything just floated off the floor and you saw like little bits of debris just floating you got up. me there that yep. blew my what mind. they should have done yep is turned it back on <laughs> and gone down yes that would have been really cool and and lastly the the one that's kind of the most surprising to me is uh, I actually really liked the look of the Redeemer, uh, seeing it flying oh, along outside oh, with don't. the engines. Oh, please don't. <laughs> no, I did. I did. Oh, <laughs> I've lost you. Uh, I had you uh, all in my corner, but... Oh. Tell, tell me why, Jeff. Tell I hate that why. ship! <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't understand the little sparkly things in between the engine pods. What, what, was, what was going on You don't that? need to is understand like... them. It's, it's beyond understanding. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's, they sparkle. It's, it's, I don't care. It's the hand wavium generator. I want yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still with you, Jeff. They look like giant staplers. <laughs> yeah, they're big staple guns. They do, but I still like them. 
yep, it just that seeing it fly by with the little glowy bits and all that sort of crap that just sold it to me right there. You know, I have all I've always loved actually everything on that ship except for the engines. Yes. The engines yeah. the engines it lost my vote literally because of those engines. If it had any other kind of engine on the side, I I probably would have voted for it, but I just I don't see a design purpose for them. I mean, explain to me why that's a good idea. I was going to give him a pass until there was all sorts of like electricity between the uh, you know the the stapler bits. I don't understand what the what those are for. Yeah, the three dingo ship had my money. That's it's really saddening to me that they they ran out of time and steam at the end there because that and was people. that was my ship and people. <laughs> yeah, it, was, yeah. it was one dingo by the end of it. Okay, so just a, a very quick scroll part. Let's go around the room. Uh, the the options are going to be um, medication or no medication. Uh, Shiv, what do you think I need? No medication. Uh, medication, <laughs> Elliot. Um, I'd say, I'd say you're just off your tea a bit. That's true. That's true. I do have a bit of a crisis going on right now where we've completely run out of Earl Grey, <gasps> and I'm having to drink Lady Grey. So, Tony. Well, don't let the Earl know, but I would say that, uh, no, you don't need medication except for the fact that you like the Redeemer's weird engine bits. I'm just sending you for an evaluation. How about that? An evaluation. All right. I'm off to make a doctor's appointment. Tony, why don't you ask everybody this week's community question? This week's community question is Arena Commander 14, not 9.2. No, no, no. Release 14. Good patch or best patch ever? The best feature is what? The targeting, the new HUD symbols, the control profiles? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post at guardfrequency.com or on our show's weekly forum thread on the Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. But now it's time for news we didn't use. The Gladius and the Redeemer are finally hangar ready. Law Builder 20, journeys and generators, like a wise man once said, never mix religion and gravity. The latest entry into the galactic guide, Tyrannus. New United School Scandal. A great piece of fiction. Check it out. Fan Spotlight Wallpapers Round 2. And 10th of Chairman Episode 43, featuring Vandal Origins and Crew Transgressions. I just have to say that I've weighed in on the lore builder this week, but I had strong feelings about gravity generators. I know. Shocker, everybody. I know. Hold on to your hats that I, I weighed in on artificial gravity. Go search for Kinetic Impulsor if you want to know what I think. Now that we're all caught up with the latest CIG news, let's check out the dark side as we learn all about Drake Interplanetary in Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Greetings, Sits and Sivs, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets, where we like to delve into the guts of Starsis and give you all the details from the inside out. A warning up front, this game is still in active development, so anything we say is subject to change and speculation. With the concept release of the Drake Herald, it seems like a good time to decrypt the section on ship manufacturer Drake Interplanetary. Well known by any citizen for their cheesy advertisements with impossibly endowed women with garish skin dye jobs draped all over Drake's ships, such as the Cutlass, Caterpillar, or now the Herald, Drake's pervasive footprint is seen all across space, from the core of the UEE to the wild, wild rim of civilization. The chewy caramel core to Drake's success is their Cutlass design. Originally created two UEE specifications as a candidate for their 2922 Volkswagen specifications. The goal was low cost and high configurability. 
The winning design was the since-forgotten Wildcat, but Drake didn't stop with that loss, nope. They continued to develop the Cutlass and released it for civilian use. It didn't have the posh polish of an Origin ship or the sturdy solidarity of an RSI design. But using materials easily available in almost any system, a Cutlass could be made at a quarter of the cost of any comparable ship. Lead designer Jan Dredge became the CEO of Drake Interplanetary when they incorporated along with the Board of Seven, which mostly consisted of the engineers who worked on the Cutlass. The name Drake was chosen solely because it sounded cool. The thought was that they would sell more ships with a cool name. This started the trend of always choosing the most profitable route, consequences being of no consequence. The second of these decisions would be to place their corporate headquarters and manufacturing in the home of everyone's favorite consultants, the Magnus System. Most companies would have put themselves in the UEE central worlds like Terra or Ye Old Earth, but choosing Magnus put them right where they could cater to militia groups and other fringe space entities. These less civilized areas, generally beyond the scope of traditional insurance, Drake decided that a low-cost replacement solution would be welcome there. The fact that in nine months there were six of these factories off-world and licensed dealership in nine systems seems to suggest they chose wisely. In a year, their quarter-the-cost ship solution allowed for them to quadruple the size of their company. In another five years, they became the fifth largest ship manufacturer. Business and financial magazines lauded Drake as an outstanding success and introduced real competition to the likes of Robert Space Industries and Musashi Industrial, otherwise known as MISC. The numbers suggested that in 10 years, everybody would be flying a cutlass. What no one stopped to think about was why. The word on the spaceways was peace, and the UE Navy, for all intents and purposes, had been gathering dust for seven years. Even the Vandal were only raiding in disorganized stabs. So who would be buying all these low-cost ships? While it should have raised a red flag, no one was paying attention, so instead a black flag was raised. And piracy had a new friend, and that friend was Drake Interplanetary. Not that Drake seems to mind. If the credits are coming in, the ships are going out. Spokespersons might say the allegations of selling to pirates are unfounded, but marketing puts ships on showrooms with skulls and crossbones and stealth themes. Drake's upcoming reveal at the Air and Space Show has been rumored to be all about streamlining. A hard-to-believe suggestion considering their boxy designs, but even if the ship models start putting style over affordability, the fact that more anti-piracy forces are being dispatched means only one thing. Pirate hunters should probably drop some credits on Drake Interplanetary stock. Of course, please consult a licensed securities broker before making any decisions with your money. So there we go, guys. Drake Interplanetary, the uh, the bad boy of the ship manufacturing group. I think the only Drake ship that I'd be even partly interested in would be the Cutlass Red. Not even the Herald? Just No. I, I, never, I mean, we've already had our discussion about the Herald. It's not a great-looking ship to begin with, and it, it's, it has a very narrow gameplay field, and it's one that I'm not terribly interested in. I, I'm interested in the concept of the information runner. I'm just not interested in performing that function. But the Cutlass Red with the ambulance uh, features, I mean, we're, we're probably going to need one or two of those for our little squad yeah. based on what we plan on doing. But I, I, I think that... There needs to be, or it's fun that there is, an entity like Drake in the stodgy, crusty Imperial universe, uh, one that pushes the edges and uh, doesn't mind taking a quick buck uh, over any sort of ethical concerns. I think an institution like that needs to be in this kind of universe, and it might as well be Drake. Yeah, it's much like the arms dealers who sell to right. both sides, you know, to keep the war going in order to sell more arms. It's, it's the exact same mentality. As long as I... there are pirates, there will be bounty hunters. So as long as you keep making bounty hunters there will be pirates who need to get smarter they'll all buy your ships to try and be one step ahead of each other and you're the real winner it's almost like a movie 
it's like a movie that that was about a arms dealer that was just completely unethical <laughs> and God, I wonder if anybody at CIG made a movie about that once. I don't, man, we got to look no, into that. Doesn't sound familiar. No, okay. Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a tidbit of lore some sit or sib taught you that we all should know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Firstly, we'd like to thank everybody who found our logo in the Star Citizen logo mosaic. The first winner appeared from the Shadows, the Kin Shadows. Well done, Kin Shadow. Ah. We also had First Verse Problems and Pyro Ellis. Sorry if I butchered your name there, but you're off for take Pyro really. Lastly, Matt Chaney, Chaney, whatever, Chaney. Matt Chaney unlocked the good show, boy, achievement for finding a logo that looked a little bit like the Guardians logo, but just wasn't quite there. Congratulations to all the winners involved. Your prizes are on their way. And from the show post over at guardfrequency.com, Geislar, I would like to point out that the lack of modularity of ships that CIG have been releasing. If Star Citizen had a truly 100% modular ship design, then the only difference in the ships themselves would be the size of the crew and the skins that you could have on each size of ship. With the method they are using, you'll be able to adapt your ship to the role that you want to be. But a freelancer, no matter how it's fitted, will not be better than a Hornet in dogfighting role. Ships would be modular and adaptable, but that doesn't mean that certain ships shouldn't be more effective in certain aspects of the game than other ships. Yeah, I... The modularity problem, uh, Ben went on the boards again and addressed it additionally. And uh, I think we are probably going to try to have Ben on in the next week or so. Um, fingers crossed we're trying to get that scheduled up. But I, we want to talk more about this with him. There has been a lot of uh, controversy and, and discussion about this. The idea is that eventually you'll be able to mount any kind of guns up to with certain size and class restrictions. You'll be able to swap out engines, all other kind of things. But some of the specialized equipment that is designed just for particular ships, there are restrictions as far as collisions and geometry and other types of art asset things that make it difficult or impossible to move to a different interior. Apparently, that's one of the main stumbling blocks in the in having complete modularity, being able to move your Cutlass Red medical bay to the interior of a freelancer. I mean, those are understandable production reasons to not have everything be 100% modular or interchangeable. And, and that's acceptable. I, I, I accept that. I would like, to, okay, let's say I did want to buy a Cutlass, but I wanted to buy a Cutlass medical bay and I wanted to buy a Cutlass police bay. I should be able to take those bays and interchange them and have everything I need. I agree. As he, what he's saying is that if it's inside a certain ship, and that is where it's going to go for these production reasons, and that's one reason why I want to have Ben on the show so we can we can he can talk about exactly what the difference is between what is going to be considered to be modular among an individual class of ships. You know, the variance. Let's you know the variance is they're they're calling it now. Why is it that you know, only certain equipment is going to work on a Phoenix and not on a Aquila? Why is it that certain pieces are not going to swap between variants even, let alone between different classes, like between a freelancer and a cutlass? There's a lot of confusion and I think still some issues to be sorted out with that. And we'll, we'll, try, we'll, see, we'll try to get Ben on and get exactly what they're thinking and, and get that uh, ironed out for everybody because we have concerns too. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Loved all the news about the FPS. Sounds fun. Great show, everyone. P.S. Yes, I'm still here. 
all the way to the end, the happier, the better. Ostron writes in and says, Great show, guys. I think the FPS delay is going to be a good thing. I have a bad feeling that this is going to be a trying time for CRG in the media and with the community. When Arena Commander was released, it was pretty universally praised, but I think that was because it was a brand new type of game. After all, we hadn't seen any kind of space sim in nearly a decade, and certainly not one with the flight capabilities and graphics that we currently have. By contrast, everyone has a very clear idea of what a good versus a bad FPS experience is, and most of what sets Star Citizen's FPS apart appears to be mechanics that will only be fully realised with the Persistent Universe. Add in that Star Citizen isn't purely an FPS experience, and I fear we will have the media and the citizens writing off the FPS aspect of Star Citizen before it gets a chance to prove itself. Uh, Yep, very good points there. A lot of people do realize that here we're going to have a space sim that we're going to be able to get out and walk about. In most space sims, you don't get to have that choice. In EVE, you get to go into your control room or your little apartment, and that's as far as you go. And in other space sims, you didn't even get to get out of your cockpit, let alone go much further than maybe the bar. Yeah, I mean, I think what Ostron is basically trying to get across here is that you want the media to see it as it's a space sim with first-person shooter. It's not a first-person shooter that lets you fly spacecraft. You know, this isn't Call of Duty with spaceships. This is spaceships with a little bit of Call of Duty on the side. So as long as the media maintains that it's a space sim game first and an FPS second, then hopefully everything will be all good. From our RSI forum post, Saladin writes, Hey guys, great show as always. I agree with the Avenger not being out yet is a bit of a letdown. But so much pessimism. Keep the dream alive. I understand everybody is getting itchy for content, but I think we're our own worst enemies placing unrealistic expectations on everyone involved. Can they tweak some things? Sure. I think the recent hires of Mayberry and Zervik have brought the dreamer Chris Roberts into a more realistic frame of mind, hence the new long-range plan. Chris Roberts is the dreamer, not the planner. It's all good. How about some optimism, people? Our intention is not to, you know, have an attitude or a certain spin on certain things. It's just I have concerns. And there is no investor group here putting the pressure on CIG to perform. It's only the fans, right? And if the fans are just a rabble that are on the forums being all rah, 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 then I think people can ignore them with a certain degree of forgiveness, all right? Yeah, they're just people shouting and ranting on the forums. But I think that if there's media outlets, fan casts like this one, that lay out concerns in a reasonable and direct manner, that those concerns will be heard. You know, concern in the bracket like you see on the forums, concern. You know, I mean, it's not that we're going to run away. We're still producing our podcast. We're here for the duration. But there's no entity that you would find in a traditional game environment like the investor to keep that pressure on to say, we're watching, we have questions, we're concerned. What's going on with this? Let's get some answers in this area. I don't think it's unhealthy for us to look at stuff and say, that worries us. I think it is also uh, the level of excitement and anticipation and appreciation that we have for this game is so high we started a podcast about it. So, you know, just because we, we come across as being possibly sounding a little bit negative, which is uh, what Saladin was saying here, you know, that's not to say that we're all negative. No, the appreciation has not gone anywhere. We are still all very thoroughly excited for this game to come to fruition and actually be realized for the potential that it has. Uh, just like Tony was saying, by the very nature of crowdfunding, we are the investors. So if we do see something that does concern us, then it, I think, yeah, I think it is good to bring it up and discuss about it. But, you know, I'm majorly excited about this game coming out. So, yeah, really can't wait. You know, 
know, it goes back to a lot when we first started. We all agreed that we wouldn't be uh, fanboy, uh, have the fanboy mentality on this game, and and to be able to look at everything objectively it doesn't mean that we still don't love this this game. And the fact that we're here every Saturday <laughs> night gives us our fanboy credit. Right. And hey, we pointed out that Dan Geesling was wrong, and look at that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh you had to mention that. <laughs> Do we name? have to bring that back. <laughs> oh up? man. Oh, the dark, the dark times. Once every eight times. weeks or so, I think it's just good to remind <laughs> ourselves that we do have the power. Uh, well, Matt Cheney from Squawk at GuardFrequency.com says, I've gone back and listened to the last couple of months of cast, and I've heard you guys discussing this topic lightly, so here goes. I'm looking to buy a new input and possibly output set up for Star Citizen. I like to make sure I purchase wisely. I don't even know what a HOTAS is until about an hour ago, so forgive my ignorance. Thinking about buying a track IR, since you guys mentioned a few weeks ago that in-game support for it is now mostly functional. What would be your ideal input control setup if money wasn't an issue? What's the ideal setup at performance? Bang for your buck. Oh, my wow. favorite topic. Not like we have any opinions about this. Jeff, keep it short. Lennon, <laughs> okay. put 30 seconds on the clock. Uh, okay. 30 seconds on the clock, please. There we go. Okay. Your time starts. <clears throat> Tracker no. IR, voice attack, the command program, it's a little eight bucks. I love my Warthog. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm using a SciTech X52. They're both HOTUSes. The Warthog will definitely give me some uh, greater functionality once the game is fully realized. And if I had the money, I'd hope to have panels, touchscreen panels that I can uh, actually uh, get hooked into the game and I can I can use the commands or go to the screen screen. Are 30 seconds up yet that was that was bang on the money all right right there right there okay so just to just to answer a few more questions what would you say were the advantages of going for a hotas over a, a mouse and keyboard the fact that all of the buttons are at your fingertips you don't have to scan for that or look down where that s key is or even worse where the j or the h key is and once you learn or set up your key the way you like it it keeps them all right there yeah one thing that i would recommend is if you're not sure about getting a hotas you just want to try it out there's a really really good stick that you can buy called the uh, thrustmaster x flight it's about the 50 dollars range it's a really really good stick for playing in arena commander check it out see if you like it before you decide to splash a bit of money on something like a warthog and finally just yeah track ir this is something i actually don't know anything about so uh, jeff once more do you want to just give us a very brief rundown of what track ir is uh, track ir is basically a radar that sits on your screen and watches your head movement and moves your view to wherever you're looking at. So if I want to look left out my screen or right out my screen or turn my head all the way around and look behind me, Track IR picks up that head movement and emulates it on the game. And it works very well. I've, I've played a couple of times with the Track IR on and it's awesome. It is truly, truly awesome. Jeebus Gleeb writes in and says, Hey guys, love you, love the show. In the game that I'm building, I'm glad less finished ships aren't being put into Arena Commander. I believe to do so would be a mistake. I believe that games which put half-baked assets into play risk the chance of becoming known to potential new players as habitually broken. There are already enough bugs in Star Citizen, and I don't believe that intentionally introducing more is a good idea. I'm also not concerned about CIG continuing to raise more and more money through crowdfunding. The number of raw crowdfunding dollars raised this year will be roughly twice what it was last year. Point being, the mechanism is on an improving trend. Regarding scope creep as a revenue generator delaying scheduled deliverables, modular deployment and effective development scheduling should alleviate this as a significant potential problem. Okay, time out, time out. That is like, we need to take that entire line and put that in our next pirate consultant sketch. 
because that is like that is like business speak extraordinaire. I mean, that is that is golf clap level. Wow, that was good. Chris Roberts is not trying to build yet another indie game. He is trying to leverage crowdsourcing and indie creative control to create the best AAA game ever. I didn't contribute the money I have to get back an equivalent amount of gaming entertainment. I made a wager on a shot at an entirely new frontier. Keep up the good work. Gleep. Well-reasoned, well-spoken, sir. As always, we appreciate this kind of thoughtful and incisive feedback, including my golf clap section there, which was just absolutely brilliant. I will concede to you intentionally introducing bugs is a bad idea, but I'm going to stand by my previous thought about the flip side consideration is you got to keep that enthusiasm, that excitement alive by continually drip feeding the content you're producing. That's part of the model. That's part and parcel of this new model that you're that you say you're enthusiastic about it supporting. If you're not going to have an investor with a timeline and an expectation of returning funds with a certain time horizon to uh, profitability, then what you got to do is you got to put the content out there to your investors to keep them excited about bringing more funds to the game. And I think that a certain level of risk is appropriate uh, introducing concepts or, or, or assets into the game that don't have all the edges polished off. Think that that's a risk that they need to take more often. From Twitter, we hear from Ken from Chicago. Another nice thing for Star Citizen: functional furniture, items that give you buffs or increase your reputation. Log out in a bed and get an hour's buff in combat. Decorative items boost the price. You can sell goods and services. Hmm. Yeah, and Chris did say going back to the food and drink system that got removed. I'm still really bitter about whatever. Um, <laughs> he did say that unfortunately, um, items that you would consume like food and drink, and in this case, sleep, won't actually affect your your performance at all. It would be an unfair advantage. So yeah, they decided to lose that. I do like the idea that decorative items boost the price you can sell goods and services for, though. Yeah, if the place looks nice and shiny, you're probably going to more likely psychologically charge more. Yeah, to yeah. charge more and therefore pay a premium buck for it. Gizmozan writes in, Guard Freak, awesome episode. Great to listen to while I'm working on Star Citizen. Well, told you some of them listen to us. Shh, it's a secret. And First First Problems writes in and says, Who's the craziest Star Citizen org? The Guard Freaks. Happy Halloween. And across several platforms in response to the new aiming system in the last update, we hear from Dillick. It's far more realistic and fun. I find it more natural. And First First Problem says, doesn't do much if you've had several mojitos. <laughs> of course not. If you've had several mojitos, you should not be operating heavy machinery like an Advil Hornet, sir. <laughs> I don't think there's a patch for being a rampant alcoholic. <laughs> no, an, no, but I can 15. see debuffs happening in the verse. You know, you, you, drink too, <laughs> you, you drink too much and you go out to your ship and try to fly and oops, so you banked into the docking it, bay. It's got to have one of those little breather things, one of those yeah. little tubes you blow into to make sure you're not uh, drunk. You, you, you guys know, are gonna, you're completely missing point completely missing it i know you get drunk in real life you fly a ship you will crash into things you don't need the character to be swaying all over the place <laughs> you'll be doing it enough for it so from google plus jasper f writes in and says i've been listening to your radio show thing it's awesome and informative thanks and it's called a podcast from guardfreak.reddit.com, half shark, half man writes in and says, I wanted to thank you guys for your hard work. I've been listening to a few guard frequencies now, and the few I've heard were top-notch quality and a pleasure to listen to. Well, thanks. Until you get to this one, I'm sure that was true, but I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna, I got a bad feeling about this one. Finally, this week's community question reminder. Arena Commander Release 14, 0.9.2. Good patch or best patch ever? The best feature is what? The targeting, the new HUD symbols, the control profiles? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post at guardfrequency.com or on our show's weekly forum thread on the Robert Space Industries fan site subforums. 
So how was the show? Did we place our predicted impact points right on target, or did we miss and fire out into the black? Either way, let us know. Here's some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out the forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. And, of course, you can always subscribe to us at feeds.guardfrequency.com or just find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and start an argument on our Reddit at guardfreak.reddit.com. Leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're lucky, I might just butcher your name live on the air. And if you're old school like us, well, why not just shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 45 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 46 on November 11th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we ran down in the feedback loop, you can also use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space in podcast ever? Well, if so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you just can't get enough spaceship podcasting, then check out our sister production, Priority One. They cover Star Trek Online and the greatest Star Trek universe. Just head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com and check them out. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, off the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday nights, then you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We started recording around 8 p.m. Central, and that's Sundays at 2 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lawmaster, and our artist, Simon Charlton Edwards, and our assistant audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks uh, both to Elliot Tan and Justin Lowmaster for appearing on the show with us tonight. And thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Command to 330, carrot 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. The Drake Herald has now officially entered the concept ship stale stage. Stale stage. Oh, Might as well be. Stale, it's fresh and new. Okay, here we go. Oh, excuse me. <coughs> Did you know that oxygen can be lumpy? Mm. Hang, hang on, yeah. time out, time out. My cat's going, my cat's going. Hold on. Cat. Where's my gun? Where's my Nerf gun? Oh, somebody put, oh, someone cleaned up my Nerf gun. It didn't have the posh polage of an origin ship or the... Uh, 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 uh. Polage. Oh, sorry. It didn't have the posh polish of an origin ship. I have to do that again. I got the giggles now. It didn't have the posh polish... Polage. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wingamanga. Right, Wingamanga. Not that Drake comes to mind. Seems the credits to mind. are coming in. Whoop, whoop. Seems to mind. Okay. You said comes to mind. Not that Drake's... Uh, I've interrupted they you. to mind. They, they stay... That's all right. Beep, beep. I'm an... <laughs> Drake's... Oh, shit. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> nugget... Okay, Nugget, stand on your... Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh...
Okay, Nuggets, you're listening to Garage Frequency. <laughs>